What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Long Play Listening Party, the show where we go deep on local music, writing, recording, inspiration, gear, and whatever else sounds good to us. I'm Howie Howard from Mr. Furious Records. Nate Holt, Astrology's Music, my co-host. What's going on, my friends? What is up, everyone? We are joined tonight by Serene Fiend, including Joel. Joel, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. And return guest, Daniel. What's up, Daniel? What's happening? Well, we are about to listen to your outstanding new album. How about that? Ooh, I'm into that. <laughs> so, Elegies and Effigies coming out on uh, August 25th. That'll be tomorrow, potentially, when listeners, when, you, when this episode goes up. So that's exciting. little preview here. And then we'll have part two for you next week. Um, mm-hmm. Just to get us started, Joel, um, tell us maybe how you got started in in music, maybe all the way back to childhood, if you uh, want. Yeah. And lead us up to, you know, starting Serene Fiend and Elegies and Effigies in particular. And like from the you? very beginning. So you're like. The toy piano you had when you were four. <laughs> and then Fisher Price. Yeah. Uh, does anyone else have synesthesia from their Fisher Price xylophone? Because that's what I have. The colors match. Whoa. <laughs> that's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, I had uh, it from a Casio. My my any synesthesia I have is more like texture and like feel. I don't I don't really get color or shape or anything. But yeah. Um so I started the first music that I got into um playing wise I started playing violin in second grade took private lessons and that track extended until my freshman year of college. I took violin lessons forever. And um, I grew to not really appreciate it after a long time. I got pretty tired of it. And uh, my parents were, they very much encouraged me to stick with it, which to now I understand why. You know, it paid off a lot. I don't think it paid off in the ways that they thought it would. <laughs> were, were, were you good? Like, were, like did you uh, compete I, or anything? I definitely was a very competent player. Yeah. yeah. Like, I took it seriously and I had a feel. But, yeah. I, you know, you you start doing that in elementary school and it, it, it's, it exists as one thing in your life at that point. And then I get into middle school, I get into high school and my interests start changing. And in uh, middle school in seventh grade, I um, asked for a bass guitar for my birthday and my parents got it for me and I started playing it. And it's funny because the whole reason I wanted to play bass is because everyone else was playing guitar at the time. I was like, I'm going to be different. I'm going to play bass. And then, like, six months later, I was saving up money to buy a guitar because I was, like, tired of the bass. <laughs> um, so I picked up guitar less than a year after picking up bass, and then that was kind of just, like, the, the never-looking-back moment. I was just consuming music constantly and learning how to play everything by ear, and then I found tabs and started learning all my favorite songs. I was, you know, growing up, uh, my dad introduced me to U2, so I've been a huge U2 fan my entire life. 
Um, I found Kiss and I found Slipknot pretty simultaneously. So I was learning how to play those songs on guitar as a kid. Um, and then it just kept developing and developing and I kept getting more interests and looking up to different artists. I found John Five, who's now one of my absolute like most monumental guitar players and i started learning how to play country swing because of him so i took a huge left turn into all of that um and just honing my chops as a guitar player um and in late high school i started a death metal band called hymn of atrophy and we played for a few years and um it's a great kinda, name. <laughs> Thanks. I, that was that was one of those that popped into the shower, popped in my head during the shower names, um, and uh, we we played for a couple of years. And I kind of cut my teeth into like what it meant to be a performing musician locally. We made home. I don't know if either you any of you remember um, Duffy's in the O'Connor Lodge on Sixth Street. We played there all yeah. the time. That was that was the place. I actually even I don't know if you can see it. Oh, it's covered up by my keyboard right here. Uh, a friend of mine a few Christmases ago made me a replica of the Duffy's sign in the hallway nice. there. Yeah, because we found a picture of it in. I, I went back on the old Hymn of Atrophy MySpace page and I found a photo <laughs> of their sign and I was like, dude, look at this! And he surprised me with a, a replica of it. He's a sweetheart. Um, so yeah, we did the did the death metal thing. That band dissolved. Um, then I joined a funk band in college called Sharp Nine, and that's when I really, really, really got put through Sharp Nine, like, baby. Yeah, put through my paces <laughs> of guitar playing because I went from being this like metal kid who was kind of interested in country music to like having to play funk music and jazz inspired music, and I was having to basically just learn on the fly the entire time. Um, and I developed a lot as a musician in that time frame and had a ton of fun with that band and made so many great connections in the scene through that band. Then we dissolved. I started another band called, um, Joel Bonner and the Boot Stompers, which was my full on like rockabilly country, um, effort, um, just like gunslinger guitar playing kind of stuff. Did a few years of that. And then I just was kept developing my interest, kept moving forward, and synthesizers came into the picture. Um, I'd had a drum machine for years that I just used as a writing tool, um, and it just kind of started... I, I was, like, getting in Nine Inch Nails and getting into all these, like, industrial bands, and it just kind of all started to coalesce into what became Serene Fiend eventually. And I just put out that first Serene Fiend EP, and I was like, oh, this is, I don't know what this is going to be, but this feels right. And then I had such a immediate and fervent reaction to that EP, much more than anything I'd ever done in my life. So I was like, okay, well, this is the vibe. This is it. And then it just kept developing, and it's become... Dream Fiend's become definitely the purest distillation of my taste of anything I've done, I think. Good deal. So it is, it exists in a, how do you think of Serene Fiend? Because there's like elements of kind of solo project. There's a live band, of course. And I'm going to start uh, to... the first track called okay. Monument to Non-Existence, uh, <laughs> just because Perfect. you asked that question, Howie. Yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> but I just want to ask, so, and I'll limit my question to the creation of Elegies and Effigies, but, like, how do you think of Serene Fiend in terms of kind of membership and 
What is it? Yeah, um, it, it's somewhat nebulous, but the recording side of it and how it's represented in recorded audio is pretty much just like my baby. And it's a expression of me as a recording artist and an audio engineer. Um, it, I I spent so many years working with co collaborative collaboratively with other musicians, and that's all I ever did. And there were certain trappings that came with that that I was getting tired of. And so the recording aspect of Serene Fiend was my way of doing things on my own time, how I wanted, and having full control. Um, and then Elegies and Effigies comes around and. You know, Daniel has a contribution on this album. Sam, our live guitar player, has a contribution on this album. Um, you know, bringing the guys into the fold a little bit. But I don't have a predetermined idea of exactly where that path is going. You know, it's just what feels right. And um, the live the live aspect of it is completely me surrendering all of that to Sam, Daniel, and now Travis for this upcoming album release show playing drums. Um, because they have such incredible voices as musicians, I don't want the live stuff to sound like the recordings, and that is where they shine. I didn't realize that the live band was usual plus hypermortal, so that's that's pretty sweet. Yeah, <laughs> basically, <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> Daniel and uh, a really fun fact. Sorry, real quick, the really fun fact about this song. Uh, I referenced him of Atrophy earlier. This was a a demo of a hymn of atrophy song i wrote in 2009 the 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 skeleton of this song um teenage joel wrote and then i unearthed it from my music library and reappropriated it for serene fiend i love that i was yeah. I was i was just gonna ask daniel i mean i imagine there's something in there you can identify with because i mean you have projects where you have total control you do it all exactly how you want you've also got multiple collaborations so you must, ha you must find something productive in the the back and forth among those things. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, I try and compartmentalize as best as I can. I took the opportunity with Joel because we played the. I played. I opened for his. I think it was the first Serene it Fiend was, show. It was the first show. Yeah. And and we. I mean, obviously, hit it off. And it, he's afforded me an opportunity to do live synthesis that I was looking for, like by myself just playing drum machines and keyboards and stuff it's a headache and there's not a whole lot of kinetic energy to the thing it's just standing around with keyboards and with him it's yeah. like it's like punk synth for me and uh i've relished that opportunity really because yeah i i sometimes i want to give up control you know what i mean like it's less of a hassle whenever you got somebody else guiding you and leading you uh, and it's pushed my synthesis abilities into way different terrain because it's like I just approximate what he's done as the best I can and then try and make it as expressive as he made the album, you know. So, Joel, I don't want to interrupt this lead. So you you, you produced everything on, on this record, correct? Yeah, yeah, everything... Um... It was a synth solo in the next song that Daniel did, and then a guitar solo in the following song that Sam did, but everything else is me, yeah. So what did you use for that lead and that kind of like arpeggiated stuff? So I MIDI sequenced the lead and ran it through uh, my uh, MS-20 
Okay. And I did like three passes of that, of moving the filter and changing the octave, and then I layered all of that together. So that's really the same lead happening three times at once, just like layering yeah. it. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I that, that's like, so, man, that sounds so good. Man, I, I saw you. that MS20 thanks. back there, and I, I, yeah, I'm a huge I, MS20 I, fan. I adore <laughs> the MS20, man. It's such an essential tool in my rig. So I don't want to, I don't want to hijack this uh, the show, and I'm not going to. But when when this <laughs> posts in late August, I'll be a week or two away from releasing a digitally releasing the equivalent of a six LP. MS20 project. Cool. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I'm I'm will hotly anticipate that. <laughs> That's we, wild. We can, we can move on, but it's called Only Mostly Dead. It'll be on nightmode.bandcamp.com in late August. And uh, we won't be covering it on the podcast because it's too long. Sick. What? There's not going to be a 27 episode. There, there will not be covering that one. Uh, we're going to spare the listeners that. If you, if you're the kind of person who will enjoy that, uh, you can seek it out. Man, so yeah, Joel, I, I see you posting uh, stuff, you know, often. And so I know you love your MS-20, and then you've got, uh, um, uh, the other really essential one in my rig is a Korg mini log. Yes. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's my, that's my live synth these days, because it has presets. Um, but it, it's pretty essential in the recordings in the studio as well. They're my two main tools. And um, on this album, my repertoire expanded. Daniel gifted me a Behringer Neutron okay. uh, a while back. And that has an appearance on this record. Um, and I regretfully, I have a Moog DFAM that I love. But it only has one line in this entire album, unfortunately. So we're looking forward to Sometimes that's the, the way it the is, future. you know? Yeah. yeah, in the future, that DFAM's going to get some serious work. Is that what's behind you, or is that like one of those little Roland... Uh, 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 that This is just a little um, Archeria key step, just a MIDI controller um, that I can also do some CV routing in. Is there a module behind it, though? Um, there's the DFAM and then the Neutron okay. just behind okay. it, yep. Yeah. And yeah. some pedals yeah. right there, too. Yep. And then this is my solo. Um, also, there, with the exception of the first track, there are no amps on this album. This is all DI guitar. Nice. Um, and then this is Daniel's solo. Making those fingers fly. All right, when we get to the last chorus, I want to want to listen to it. And I'm going to, I will have already, by the time you hear this, edited an earlier chorus so you can hear it cleanly.
what about the drums on the record, Joel? They, the like proper drums come from a huge library of samples I've accrued over the years, and some from my um, Alesis SR18. Um, but all of the auxiliary percussion, especially like I can highlight it is as we go into don't want to die here that is uh-huh. all stuff that i recorded myself and sampled myself so like hitting yeah. cooking sheets with chains and baseball bats and stuff um i have tons of like proper industrial uh sampling on this album yeah before we get too far I, the reason i wanted to hear those two choruses because that last chorus it goes to a whole nother harmonic place and there's this this whole set of chords floating over the top of the riff that only happen in the last chorus and i love those so much thanks yeah i'm i'm huge in like developing uh musical ideas and you know each chorus needs to have some kind of expansion to it you know to contextualize it and add depth to the song yeah uh I'm glad I'm glad you noticed that because it's not the most obvious thing in the world, but it's definitely a very, very dedicated layer in that last chorus. I've always had like a because uh, I've never felt like my drum programming was all that great and uh, approach. You know, he was just like, you know, he's like, dude, the the, the thing with drums, man, you just like keep them moving. He's like, you know. He's like, just make them interesting to you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, even if it's the slightest change, like if it if it uh, changes the feel slightly, that's what the, the point is. So I've, I've kept that uh, kind of ethos, you know, like when I when I program drums and, 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 and you know, expand to other instruments too. You know sure. what I mean? Sure. I mean, like, that's don't, don't, don't give people everything all at once, you know. But when it when it's appropriate, it can just make everything so huge and impactful. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's great advice. Um, I think this song in particular was kind of a an interesting example of drum programming for me. Uh, it's it's a very syncopated and complex drum sequence that just kind of happened after experimenting and sequencing over and over again and thankfully we've got a extraordinarily talented drummer for this album release show who can replicate this drum sequence flawlessly it sounds so good in rehearsal right now well that uh you probably think about that or maybe not like how much do you think about uh, incorporating a live drummer when you're programming drums. Are you thinking like, okay, this is how they're gonna play it, or this is how they're gonna want to play it, or are you yeah. just kind of like? So when I'm recording, I have no respect for the live performance whatsoever. The recording is yeah. the recording. Um, yeah. But when I think about drum parts, especially if the sampling I'm using is like more traditional, typical trap-style drums. I will try to keep in mind if someone were to play this, I don't I want to make sure that each limb is capable of doing what you're hearing. Right. Even if the even if the pattern is like insanely complex that only some hyper drum nerd would be able to play, I want it to be replicatable, you know. 
But if it's just like some crazy electronic song, then you know, sky's the limit. I don't care. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, then, but then you went out and found a, the one like hyper drum nerd that gets to do it all. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Dude, Travis just does, like does, he does just Travis, knew how to play that. It was insane. Does he use any uh, any sampling or any any uh, like pads or anything? In this performance specifically, no. Um, we talked about it. Um, but we decided to forego all the the pads and the sampling, uh, and he's uh, just simplify doing it. it. Yeah, he's just doing yeah. it completely with his live kit. He has a couple of little um, peripherals that he like puts on his kit just to do very specific sounds for like one song, but um, there's no electronics in his kit. Yeah. When it comes to live setups, the simpler the better, obviously. Yeah, if we were if we were you know doing theater level tours or something, that's one thing. But playing the game, yeah, short of money at all, so you can fucking just concentrate on on that. Yeah, somebody else is loading the gear in. Yeah, it's whatever. You can make it more complicated. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Did Joe? I mean, I, I, I. I love uh, the Sonics on this record, man. Um, Thank you. From the heaviness uh, that we were hearing earlier. I mean, I know it's getting, uh, it's starting to intensify a little bit, but like, um, dude, I love the, sort of the percussion that's going on in the background. You know, the the pads and everything are very soft. But it, yeah. it's, still, it's still got this kind of emotional... Yeah. Yeah, everything, really good. Is, everything good. is a vibe for me. You know, composition yeah. is capturing emotion and vibe and I'm trying to I try to think about how the music is listened to just as much as how I write it and stuff Um, because it's only as good as when it hits your listener right so I try to really make sure things have emotional content every step of the way as best I can I'm really this is a great MS20 line right here yeah You guys gonna make me get an MS20? Yeah, man. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> so, well, is the is the Sonic fingerprint? I mean, talk about the relationship between the Sonic fingerprint because this record definitely has one. It has a there's a high end. There's an you know there's an aggressive high end. It's not always there, right, Nate? There's there's some soft parts and stuff, but like there's an aggressive high end that we come back to at different times. Um, there's the percussion element that kind of ties things together. Talk about the relationship between the sonic fingerprint and that emotion that you're capturing. Um, I mean, I guess it, it sort of comes back to like the very beginning of our top, our discussion when we we're talking about synesthesia. Like, texture is the thing that really resonates with me a lot, and texture has a very intense emotional component to it for me. So. When you're writing parts that have, they take up this part of the frequency spectrum, like the high end of the frequency spectrum, 
you know, a guitar does that in a specific way, a synthesizer does that in a specific way, and different synthesizers do that in different ways. And then the notes that you write in that register will color that a specific way. And I think some of the keys that I've hit, especially on uh, manufactured this song, um, is establishing that frequency range, whatever focus it is, and then bringing, taking it away and then bringing it back, but it's a different timbre, you know, that helps develop the emotion of the composition. You're getting familiar sounds, but they're different each time and they're developing as the song goes along. Um, and then I think like dynamicism in music and note selection goes so far for texture and um, the overall emotional quality of the composition too. And then I just like color it with purple and black and skulls and uh, leather and fishnets and I tell everyone, you know, visually that it has this kind of mood too, you know. Right. <laughs> the aesthetics are very important as well. I'm very comfortable comparing like stuff like this to, you know, some of the emotional stuff that like get the nine inch nails, you know, that you'll get from them. Yeah. Um, and then I, also comparing some of the heavier stuff to some of their heavier stuff, just, just the, you know, the, the, the baldness, I guess, for lack of a better term. Man, and I didn't find, this is so embarrassing to admit always, I didn't find Nine Inch Nails until like 2015. And I literally, like, it was like, I didn't know this existed and I didn't know I needed this so bad. It was like a revelation listening to Nine Inch Nails. So uh, it's, yeah, you can hear that in my compositions. <laughs> no, I, 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 it's, I mean, it's beautiful, dude. Uh, Thank you. I mean, that's, I mean, that right there is just gorgeous. Thank you. And it's all about those like kind of out of tune, soft pianos and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that was and, that was the the fourth track. I, and and I'm I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just want to keep uh Howie informed and, and us on track. So that was yeah. the the fourth track and there's eight tracks on this album. Did we want to keep going or uh Well, let's I mean we can we'll we'll save the rest of the tracks for the next episode. Right. But, but before we break, I mean, is there anything from the first four that we haven't touched on that um, maybe, I mean, Daniel, maybe listening back to it and hearing what Joel's said so far, you know, I imagine you probably know a lot of this. Maybe a little bit is new to you. What, what strikes you as a listener? Um, so for the, I mean, the entire album is comprised of various sleep motifs that Joel is sort of like cascading over each other. And uh, and like that part makes it fairly cinematic. Um, it's it's obviously I mean, as as, you know, maybe outmoded or are ar uh, archaic as a concept album is these days. Um, uh, I know, yeah, I, like I like that. Um, I well, like I'm not, that. I'm not using it as I'm not criticizing with it or anything. Right. 
it's it's just that a lot of the world has moved on to just like immediately digestible content. Yeah, 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 exactly. The attention span thing. And that's something that I really cherish about the project in general is the fact that it it does require you to sit down and go into a meditative space with it, engage right. with it as a as an overall art piece and not just as a like, well, well, you know, I guess you could take one of these tracks out of context and put it in whatever context you want to, but um, the atmosphere is established uh, concordant to like the 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 rising levels of of each each idea like moving over itself and a lot of like Joel's textural ex- explorations in there like the musical ideas thankfully are are simple in parts enough for me to just like immediately latch onto them the hardest part in the live set has been to like approximate what's been going on in the record texturally atmospherically um that isn't you know just like okay i gotta turn a uh, reverb pedal on here and that'll make atmosphere you yeah. know uh yeah. The, yeah, that's yeah. been the biggest the biggest challenge in uh, bringing it to a live sphere because there's so many layers it's 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 so uh it's a it's a really deep album when you actually sit down and listen to it so i mean that's that's much as i got to say about it I mean, it, I don't it, think you should you guys should be like, I mean, I I will fully say, like, I guess the timing of this episode, the release show will be on the 27th. So it, very soon after this drops, um, Daniel has some really incredible reinterpretations of some of those motifs and even presented a suggestion of how we can incorporate a snippet of a song into another song because the album has so many motifs in it that overlap and repeat and develop throughout the album that we were able to just like reference another song inside of one of the songs in this set that we're doing, which is, you know, and not just because it's in the same key. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Because it fits. Right. Plus Daniel, I'm pretty sure you know how to transpose something if you need to. So if I, if I had to, well, luckily, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I, I enjoy uh, live shows being different than uh, the record. I mean, there, yeah. and it, it depends. Obviously, it depends on on the material and everything. But uh, I mean, that just it's something that 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 is it's just another something that makes that keeps something makes something stand out, keeps it unique, fresh. Um, gives people something a reason to like want to check you out. And Actually, know, go to the show. Yeah, right. You could sit at home safely listening on headphones. Right. Yeah, not disturbing that, the neighbors. And that was a hurdle that I wanted to jump over really early on because we didn't have a drummer, and we were playing to tracks for the drums, and there were even some like auxiliary synth parts in the tracks. But, like, that's why, like, having Daniel and Sam, who have such specific voices as artists involved, is because they can take those parts and not make them sound like the album and 
defy the fact that we were playing detracts enough that it was in and of itself a unique experience separate from yeah. the album and for, now yeah, sure. we we were afforded you know the incredible opportunity to have travis play for us for this release show so we're going to be completely off tracks completely going live band the entire uh, every you know beat of the set and it's going to be the final like fulfillment of all of that gonna be great and i know it's that's the 27th right 27th at Replay, we're doing a evening patio show starting at 9 o'clock. Hell yes. With uh, Friends of the Pod, Ebony Tusks, uh-huh. and Young Okay. Yeah, that's so, right. That, that's that's right. The, yeah, that the is going to be... Night, the whole night's going to be in your face. It's yeah. I, I have been waiting to present a show opportunity worth Ebony Tusks and Young Machete's attention, and thankfully, you know... As soon as I reached out to them, they were on board like immediately. So it, it's just everything aligned for this show. It's awesome, dude. Yeah. So all the links in the in the show notes and everything, but that's on August twenty seventh. Album comes out August twenty fifth. Elegies and effigies at serenefiend.bandcamp.com. Joel, Daniel, thanks for being here. We'll be back with part two. Uh, listeners on Monday following the release show. But for now, this has been the Long Play Listening Party. Later, everybody. See ya. Bye.